A real guy's response to a fish and wildlife bureaucracy. Busaka's infatuation with old school rock and roll as he compares Woodstock to today's modern day Tortuga. Fist fighting at the chili cook-off. Buddy Guy and the master of the Telecaster. And spot stealing technology all this week on the Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. I got the world's favorite millennial in the studio today, Stephen Busaka. What's up, dog? How you doing, brother? Ah, thanks for coming in. Dude, I'm surprised we even made it in today. Well, we're here, and it's a beautiful day, and I was just, um, I just wrapped up a podcast with Norm and Gary the Bait Guy. Who's Gary the Bait Guy? So Gary the Bait Guy is the ex-bait guy. So now it's Julie the Bait Lady, who's Gary's wife. And you talk about old school, Fort Lauderdale, real people, actually Miami, and then they moved to Fort Lauderdale. But anyway, so Norm brought him in. Norm loves the dude. He has all these great old school stories. And uh, we spent, I don't know, an hour and a half going over a bunch of stuff. It was good. It was good. I was pretty fired up, but I got to do a lot of editing. Why is that? Well, Norm wants to cough like every five minutes. You know what I mean? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so he's coughing every five minutes. And then Gary, he's never did a podcast before. The stuff that was coming out of his mouth was phenomenal, but the transitions were a little bit different. So anyway, it's going to be good. So Norm, so Norm's cough were almost like Rufus's freaking thigh slaps, pretty we're, much. Worse. 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 Okay. And, um... I don't know, maybe I should have another cigar or something. <laughs> yeah, that'll really help out the cough. <laughs> Dude, you know sometimes um, sometimes online you, you, you see like the best shit ever? Duh. Like most of the stuff you see is just like, all right, the guy took another picture of his food. Like how many of these can I look at? But every once in a while you get something online, which is the best shit ever. Yeah. And I posted it. Um, Will Dumler actually posted it and then I shared his post but the what sucks is not a lot of people are seeing it and it is funny as balls did you did you see the post that I made about the landowner in um I think the state of Washington yeah the state of Washington Department of Wildlife Research right they wanted to do a frog survey yep in North Carolina on the guy's land on the guy's land and the guy's response was so phenomenal that we have to share it on the podcast. Dude, it was the perfect response to a government aid. That was, the, that was basically the definition of giving somebody a taste of their own medicine. Right. Literally. Right. I want you to, um, I want you to read it so the audience can hear it. Now, this is like, a, it's, a, it, it's sarcasm at its best level. And um, it takes about four minutes to get through the whole story, but it's worth it. It is so worth it. And I'm going to try my very best to make this to where everybody can at least stay engaged and get through it. So bear with me with here, guys. So this is a letter to a landowner from the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife Research. Right. Get this. Dear landowner, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife Research staff will be conducting surveys for foothill yellow-legged frogs and other amphibians over the next few months. As part of this research, we'd like to survey the creek on your property. I'm writing this letter to request your permission to access your property. 
Recent research indicates that foothill yellow-legged frogs have declined significantly in recent years and are no longer found at half their historic sites. Your cooperation will be greatly appreciated and will help contribute to the conservation of this important species. Please fill out the attached postage paid postcard and let us know if you're willing to let us cross your property or not. If you have any concerns about this project, please give us a call. We would love to talk with you about our research. Now, let's read the response from said landowner. Dear Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife Research, Thank you so much for your inquiry regarding accessing our property to survey these yellow-legged frogs. We may be able to help you out with this matter. We've divided our 2.26 acres into 75 equal survey units with a, draw, with a draw tag for each unit. Application fees are only $8 per unit after you purchase the frog survey license, $120 for residents, $180 for non-residents. You will also need to obtain a frog habitat parking permit, about $10 per vehicle. You'll also need an invasive species stamp, which is about $15 for the first vehicle, roughly about $5 for each additional vehicle. You're also going to want to register at the check station to have your vehicle inspected for non-native plant life prior to entering our property. Uh, by the way, there also is a day-use fee, an additional $5 per vehicle. If you're successful in the draw, you will be notified two weeks in advance so you can make necessary plans and purchase your Creek Habitat stamp, which is $18 for residents and $140 for non-residents. The survey units open between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m., but you cannot commence survey until 9 a.m., and you must cease all survey activity by 1 p.m. Survey gear can only include a net with a 2-inch di diameter made of 100% organic cotton netting with no longer than an 18-inch handle, non-weighted, and no deeper than 6 inches from net frame to bottom of the net. Handles can be only made of BPA-free plastics or wood. After 1 p.m., you can use a net with a 3-inch diameter if and only if you purchase the Frog Net Endorsement. $75 for residents, $250 for non-residents. Any frogs that are captured and are released will need to be released with an approved release device back into the environment unharmed. As of June 1st, we are offering draw tags for our premium survey units and application is again only $8 per application. However, all fees can be waived if you can verify native Indian tribal rights and status. You'll also need to provide evidence of successful completion of these frog surveys, as well as your comprehensive course on frog identification, safe handling practices, and self-defense strategies for frog attacks. This course is offered online 
through an accredited program for a nominal fee of only $750. Please let us know if we can be of assistance to you. Otherwise, we decline your access to our property, but very much appreciate your inquiry. Sincerely, said landowners. <laughs> so, dude, that was the best... That was the best response. I could I could have never made that up myself. That was so good. It was so on point, and I was laughing. The longer I read that, the more I laughed. Dude, I just would have loved to have seen that the the government's face when they read that response. All right. So the person that that read the response, what do you think the chances of them having enough of a personality or sense of humor? Zero. They, those people have no sense of humor. Have you gone to the DMV before? Yeah. Those people don't smile. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Like, so you don't think you don't think the person in the state of Washington that opened that letter and read it, you don't think they even laughed or smiled or maybe even shared it with a a, 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 a colleague or a something? Colleague, right? It's the government, dude. Those people. All right. So, what do you think the chances of somebody laughing about it in that office is? As opposed to somebody getting offended by it, and now they're going to bust that guy's balls. They probably got offended like shit. That guy probably went to his supervisor. So you're thinking... And probably said, look at this. He's mocking us. I guarantee you that's what it said. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a far better chance that he'll get messed with by the Florida... Or, that's what I'm or saying. by the Washington, game warden there. Washington Department of Wildlife <laughs> Research. <laughs> got to be right, Jeff. Come on. But anyway, and if anybody wants the clip that Busaka just read to share it someplace on your own podcast or whatever, let me know and I'll send you the MP3. I mean, it's like four and a half minutes, but um, it's funny and it's worth sharing. So if anybody wants that clip, just let me know and I'll send it out to you. <laughs> Speaking of things that are worth it, worth sharing, how about we talk about um, our recent drive to go get lunch? Oh, my God. Busaka. Okay. So it's not called a roundabout. It's called a rotary. Okay. Now, Here he goes. Well, <laughs> Busaka, how old are you now? How 20, long? 29. 29 you know years old, and he's had a driver's license since he was 16, but he's going to freaking learn something today. I'm going to learn you something. Yeah, you learned me something. The little round thing that you pull up to is not called a roundabout. It's called a rotary. Okay. okay, And the whole idea of having a rotary someplace is there will be three or four entrances to it. Okay, And you slow down a little bit and you merge with everybody else. You keep going. Nobody's supposed to stop. In Even a though we all do. No, y'all do. All you don't. Well, people that know what a rotary is. Like people, people from New England, people from Massachusetts. Yankees. Right. They grew up with these rotaries, like big ones. Like two laners. Like two three lane rotaries. And they, they know. Everybody just kind of, you know, you slow down a little bit. You merge with others. You get in the rotary. You go around the whole way, halfway, 180. And then you get off the rotary. And then everybody goes on about their business. But South Floridians, and especially you younger people, have no clue what these things are. And you go down the street and you hit one of these rotaries. Not a roundabout. Okay, Busaka. All you do is slow down a little bit. And keep going around the thing and get to where you want to go and then get off. All right? You don't stop. Nobody has to, like, wave, you know, and say, okay, you go now. You just go. All right? 
And I can't believe you're 30 years old and just like no figuring out what a rotary is. But then again, you use your GPS to get to my house. No, I don't use the GPS no more. <laughs> I used to use it when we used to have to go to Wings Plus, though, but I don't do that no more. <laughs> well, dude, how about we talk about the fact, too, that then on the way back, I decided not to stop and almost got that guy freaking smashed into me. And then he got pissed that I didn't stop for him. And then he cut me off. No, because, <laughs> because you did it wrong again. You, you pull up to the rotary and you slow down a little bit. Therefore, that guy could have went also. But instead, you didn't slow down. You just went around it real fast, and then you cut that guy <laughs> off. So that's why he's pissed at you. It's always, it's never a dull moment, man. <laughs> just, it's it's just, never a dull moment. I just, uh, anyway. You know, what, you know what else wasn't a dull moment? What? Woodstock. 1969. Do you like how I segued into that? I did. So you're reading more posts they put up. Dude, yeah, let's talk about this post that you did. It wasn't my post. It was a kid named John McKenna that I reshared his post. Now, speaking of John McKenna, you talk about old school. I went to Sunrise Middle School with this kid back in the friggin' eight, early 80s. And then I think Lamont graduated with him in Fort Lauderdale High School in 1986. But anyway, that's how long... John McKenna's been around, who okay. originally had that post. But all you youngsters are like totally infatuated with any Woodstock news. Well, let's talk about this, man. Let's talk about the post. Well, basically, uh, John sent a post out that had a list of all the performers at Woodstock and how much they got paid. Just for performing. Just for performing. And Busaka was, I don't know, let's just say starstruck by it. Well, I was a little bit, let's go over a few of these. Because, I mean, dude, like most of the time when, like, bands nowadays, they do a performance somewhere. Dude, they're getting, like, at least a million. I don't know how much they're getting now, but, you know, in the old days, it was different. So the highest, the highest paid at Woodstock was Hendrix, which makes sense to me. Jimi Hendrix was the most high. How much did he get paid? He got 18000 for performing. Okay. So 18000 and Woodstock was in what 1969, 69. so 18,000. He could have bought like four Cadillacs. Yeah. All right. Yep. The least paid. The least paid was a band called Quill, which I didn't even know that they performed. They got three hundred and seventy-five dollars. <laughs> so back then, that would have been equivalent to what? Maybe like a grand. You could do a Florida vacation on 375 bucks back, back in then. 1969. So, which probably included the flight and the hotel right. back then. So then you had the Who, they got 6,000 and change. Dude, I forgot that the Grateful Dead performed at Woodstock. Not only did they perform at Woodstock, they played for like 4 hours. Did they really? Yeah, and they <laughs> and they totally pushed back the whole schedule for everybody else. So I forget, maybe Credence, whoever was supposed to be the headliner, ended up playing at like one in the morning. Are you serious? And everybody got pissed at, Woods, at uh, the Grateful Dead for it. Anyway. Dude, so Lamont, speaking of the Grateful Dead, so they got roughly about 2000 and change. But I'm glad that we, that we brought up the Grateful Dead because Lamont told me a story about you guys with the Grateful Dead. We did some dead concerts. Yeah, he said you were a deadhead for like a month. And you guys went to see the Grateful Dead like three times. Well, they were in Florida. So we got to see him in Miami. We got to see him in Tampa, and there maybe was one Palm more Beach. Spot. Yeah. Maybe Palm Beach it was. But so yeah, we we did it, and I saw them, um, in Boston, twice. When you saw them, was Jerry Garcia still alive? Yeah, 
Yeah, no, this is a real Gary for Dead. He told me to ask you about the story when you guys went to see them in Miami, where you guys got on the bus, and Lamont had like a freaking little pea shooter or something like that stuff in his st- in his sock. Just, is this ringing a bell? No. He said he had like a little pea shooter that he that he put in his sock, and that you guys got on a bus to go to the concert, and all these hippies saw that and about had a heart attack because they thought he was packing a real gun. <laughs> Does any of this ring a bell? Dude, it's... <laughs> There's not a whole lot that rings a bell in the old days when you see Grateful Dead concerts. You just kind of... Just went with it? Yeah, it was just an experience in itself. You just know you did it. <laughs> Hold on. Let's talk about... Speaking of concert experiences, we got to talk about the Eagles concert that you guys went to. The Eagles and... That was in the original Orange Bowl. Okay. You know which story I'm talking about, I right? I do. It Let's was... tell that story, what you and Lamont did. So Lamont and I go down to uh, the Orange Bowl to see the Eagles. And this is like, let's call it 1990. It was the Hell Freezes Over tour when they first got back together right. after all those years. So they were a bunch of old farts. They all got back together. And let's just say they weren't exactly... Polished? Polished. And the concert kind of dragged on and kind of stunk. <laughs> and we were in the end zone. With all the other losers, and we started yelling at the top of our logs, oh my God, this sucks. And then the whole section was basically booing and pissed off at the Eagles, of all people. Or worst concert I've ever been to in my life. And you know what's sad about that? I saw the Eagles in 2012? 2012 or 2013 in Miami. It was at the, um, where the Heat play. The stadium down there, and F- they were FTX Arena. They changed the name, yeah, whatever it is. What's now. FTX? Oh, who the fuck knows? People say, "Oh, it's crypto." All right, whatever. Moving along, whatever. <laughs> FTX is. Arena, um, and they were absolutely spectacular. Yeah, they did. and Joe Walsh when he got up and did his freaking guitar set, dude. Joe Walsh is a friggin' badass on that guitar, man. Lamont and I might have saw the worst Eagles concert in history of Eagles. Well, that was what he told me. He said, "I don't know what it was." Well, he told me. Everybody was just sitting on stools the whole time. I'm like, dude, I think they sat on stools for two, maybe three songs when I saw them. I don't know. Maybe they had too many margaritas in the sun or something that day. But I think they're all ex-alkies. I don't even think they were drinking at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Ex-alkies. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe. But anyway. Yeah, the Eagles totally sucked. On that list on the um, Woodstock, who got paid the most to be at Woodstock? It was Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. With 18 grand. Who got paid the second most? Blood, Sweat, and Tears. They gave them 15 grand. You know, Blood, Sweat, and Tears was huge back in the day, and no one really talks about them that much now. I don't listen to them. Do you remember Kilmo, who played at the last LunkerCon at the Tarpon River Brewery? Vaguely. Kilmo, the bass player, played with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Are you serious? Yeah. That was a big deal. Not at not at the Woodstock. I don't think he was at Woodstock, but he was, he was the blood, sweat, and tears, regardless. So I got a funny, somewhat Woodstock story. So there was a band that was supposed to perform at Woodstock, Iron Butterfly. You remember them? No. They sang that god awful song in a Gata de Vida. Okay, okay. They were supposed to perform, and they got stuck at the airport, and so they missed it. They couldn't perform. So I want to say it was the bass player for Iron Butterfly came into the Italian restaurant in Vita's that I used to work at in college. And he said to me, he's like, because we were all talking about classic rock, and he was like, yeah, he goes, you probably wouldn't know it, but I used to be in a band called Iron Butterfly. And I was like, 
dude, I know Iron Butterfly. He's like, yeah, I was an Iron Butterfly. I said, and I, you know, tend to be sometimes very forward. And I said, you know, dude, don't take this the wrong way. I said, but I did not like any of your guys' music. <laughs> dude. He, you know what he says to me? He goes, dude, we were terrible. <laughs> he goes, and I swear you, he goes, we were terrible. He goes, I don't understand why people bought our music. That's what he said to me. I said, you guys were supposed to be at Woodstock. He goes, yeah, dude. He's like, freaking. I said, you guys missed the freaking plane. He's like, dude, we missed it because we were all fucked up out of our minds. That's why we missed it. Yeah, dude, the whole thing. That was just what you did back then. And they were doing like weirdly weird drugs. A lot of mushrooms and acid. What the heck? I'm sure they were doing. Wait, did, no, heroin, I think, came around the 70s. Yeah, right? her, yeah but heroin was more for like the addicts. I mean, like, like these flower people. We're doing like acid. Yes, and shrooms. LSD, and just, shrooms. Yes. Like really like psychedelic. Psychedelic. Crazy shit. And um, I don't, dude, that's a whole nother era. You, that, I don't even like, um, I don't even know anybody that went to Woodstock or anything like that. I don't understand why all you millennial types are still infatuated with all those artists except that they had real talent. Well, I mean, that's pretty much why. Yeah, it's a good reason. <laughs> Creedence Clearwater Revival, they, they actually got paid 10 grand. For their performance. That was big money back in 1969. It was actually pretty big money back then. That's like almost three Cadillacs, probably four. Somewhere between three and four three Cadillacs. Three and four Cadillacs. That sounds about right. And Jefferson Airplane and Janis Joplin all got 7,500. Mm-hmm. The sad thing is Hendrix and Joplin, I think, both died like a few months after that. I'd like to compare the... Um, and maybe we can find this out. But I'd like to compare the... Tortuga Fest and how much each one of those artists got paid for being there compared to um, Woodstock back I'm, in 1969. I'm looking this up right now. Now, I'm a, I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert on rock and roll and freaking concerts and everything, but was was Woodstock like the first um, Lollapalooza-style concert? I don't know if it was the first. I mean, I know it was definitely the first one that really resonated, though. And the thing that resonated, and they still talk about it, is for all the, what was it, was it three days? Think so. Or four days? Whatever. Three or four. Nobody got in a fight, which they said was unbelievable. Because I guarantee you, it for, like Chili Cook-Off, I told you I used to go to Chili Cook-Off back in the day, mm-hmm. when they used to have like real country artists there, like Hank Jr. and all them. Dude, they used to get in fights, freaking left and right, at Chili Cook-Off. Now it's a bunch of freaking, you know, frat boys and freaking trash over there which is pretty much tortuga i haven't i haven't heard of any any real real fights at tortuga a little you know altercations but i haven't heard of any like they're too pretty i think at that place the only the real dudes. yeah the only real fights they really heard of is that, I don't know, some rapper in texas they're killing each other and freaking shooting each other and fighting each other and all that kind of stuff and i can't remember who it was but i know what you're talking about yeah moving along Moving along. Blast. You never not remember seeing Buddy Guy. Dude. I've seen Buddy Guy like 15 times. Have you really? Yep. You got to see B.B. King too, right? I've seen B.B. King probably a dozen times. Who do you think was better, B.B. or Buddy performance-wise? What do you mean? Or is it too hard to compare? Like, who put on the better show, if well, you had to guess? <laughs> Dude, that's... That's like asking who your favorite kid is. No, it's like, you know, you can only get as good as you can get. And be great, and both of them were fucking phenomenal, pretty much every time. But I will tell you this: according to what setting they're playing in, and what the audience is like, 
the performances change big time. Like I've seen B.B. King where he played like his Vegas style, you know, um, mm -hmm. what do, how do you say it, lineup. Okay. So he had like his Vegas style where it was, you know, big band almost, blues and more upbeat. Okay. Then I seen him in, in Palm Beach one time in an old theater and the audience was like half black and half white and whatever other minorities that I didn't include that it shouldn't feel offended or excluded at this point. <laughs> but hey, you anyway, were about me just giving us bad reviews. <laughs> dude, yeah, just, I'm just trying to be sensitive, just trying to be sensitive and diverse or whatever the fuck, showing some equity. I don't know. Dude. We're all proud of you, dude. Yeah, I'm just you know, trying to do my part. Anyway, <laughs> so the audience was half black and half white, and the performance lasted for like three and a half hours. Damn, BB? Yep, and he was talking and hanging out with the audience and telling jokes and bringing up guests, and it was completely different than the Vegas style. The Vegas style, that was in uh, New Hampshire okay. at the Hampton Beach Casino, and it was a phenomenal show, and everybody had a good time, a lot of clapping going on, good bit of dancing and hollering and that kind of thing, and then the Palm Beach was like old bluesy, you know, way slow, you know. And then he was, he, dude, he talked about his guitar Lucille for 30 minutes. It was good stuff. Stuff. Rock concert, like really good rock concert, with a little bit of uh, interviews, like podcast style interviews in the middle of it. Really? Yeah, it was good stuff. And Nicole was with me for that, and she was totally digging it. It was me, Nicole, and Lamont. The three of you guys went? Yeah, it was probably like 1994. Damn. It was cool. <laughs> Let me tell you, him and Buddy Guy, they. I mean, that's like real blues. Those guys, well, Buddy Guy got paid for a while there. But for the most part, they got pissed on. Because everybody stole their shit, especially Buddy Guy. Well, I remember you told me that. All like, the rock and roll dudes, Buddy Guy showed them the way. Showed them the light. And he gets, nobody brings him up. And then, like I said, that's like the, exactly what we were talking about. The old artists get screwed in the long run. Buddy Guy, when we went to see Buddy Guy a couple of years ago, I remember the guy had just turned 80 when we saw him. He was moving up there playing that guitar. I mean, you would never think he was 80. Right. Remember, he went walking around the whole... Remember, he came right by our section. He was like two feet away from us playing his guitar. So Lamont and I saw Buddy Guy 30 years ago here. In Lauderdale. In Fort Lauderdale. Really? He played at the Musicians Exchange on Sunrise Boulevard, like almost Sunrise and Powerline. The, the music, okay. It was called the Musicians Exchange. And the Musicians Exchange was a, uh, for the most part, it was a place where you could buy instruments and take lessons. Okay. But then upstairs in the attic, the attic, whatever you want to call it, second floor, they had this big bar and a stage. And about 150, 200 people could fit in there. And some of the best blues artists that ever played, played there. And Lamont and I saw Buddy Guy there. And you know how Buddy Guy walked around the audience and played his guitar? Yep. Well, Buddy Guy walked out of Musician Exchange, got on the median in the middle of Sunrise Boulevard, as we were all looking out the window, and was jamming and looking at us from the median in Sunrise Boulevard. Are you serious? Right. It was the coolest. <laughs> that is freaking awesome. Coolest experience, one of the coolest experiences I've ever had at a at a concert who was the one that you went to see there with your mom uh, uh albert collins the master of the telecaster 
Albert Collins, famous blues dude. I went to see Albert Collins. He did two shows that night. And uh, I got home about 10 o'clock at night, and he was doing a show at, 10, at 10.30. And my, I was explaining to my mom, who I just went to see, Albert Collins. And he was on some Hollywood movie sets before, being the old blues guy. So my mother kind of knew his face. And I said, hey, Mom, you want to go? So we got in the car, we went back, and went to the second show. And the craziest thing about that is Albert Collins looked over and he saw my mother, and he was, he was like kind of the same age as him. Yeah. <laughs> and he came over to our table and sat down next to my mom and played a whole jam for her. Played a whole Really? Sang a song to my mother. And then um, we went home that night, and my mom didn't even get it. Like, she thought it was cool and everything. She liked it. She enjoyed it. But she had no clue that this blues legend sat there and, and sang her a song. Only at the Musicians Exchange, only in that was the real Fort Lauderdale. That's what Fort Lauderdale was all about in the old days. Fun stuff like that. Is Albert Collins still alive? I don't think so. Maybe, but I don't think so. Albert Collins, the master of the Telecaster. I'm going to have to look up some of his music, man. Yeah, I'd highly recommend it. That is awesome. See, I love hearing these stories about, like, old school Fort Lauderdale. Like, before all, you know, our septic issues. Before, before we started pandering to the W's and the Marriott's of the world. Yes, that too. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and you could actually catch big fish here. Before the canals were labeled the river of trash. Yes. Dude, did you see those? Did I? I all right. We did 30 minutes of positive, fun, um, mind-free content. But now I'm going back to the issues that we have. Did you see the stuff that I posted in the Pompano Beach Canals yesterday? Dude, it was so polluted you could have walked across the trash. That's how thick it was in there. Never in my life would I have thought that the canals in Pompano Beach would be worse than Fort Lauderdale and Miami. And it was so bad. I, I was astonished. I was totally astonished. Dude, here's what I don't understand. You got people in, living in those areas. Everybody got a, their boats are at least 100K, their boats. Easy. These people are loaded. How are these people not looking out their window, not having a fit about all this trip? I mean, Jeff, you literally could walk across all that trash. That's how thick it was in there. Right, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like a dead-end canal or something. It was miles of canal just filled with trash. Coconuts and plastic and straws and masks and rubber gloves and Clorox bottles and I could just go on and on and on and on and it's right behind people's houses. They are looking at it. They get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, look out their friggin' window and are staring at that crap. What I don't understand is how are they not banging on their city officials' doors saying clean this shit up? Or, or, or at least trying to get to the issue where is it all coming from which we all know well we yeah, i was gonna say we know what you know where that's coming from we know where the trash is coming from right out of the drains where we're just dumping it into the canals but you would think all right now i'm down on government all the time because they're useless but now i'm getting down on people that actually live on the water or out in their boats every friggin' week and don't say anything about this the salt lifers right these people oh i'm so salt life check out my palm tree decal check out my f slippers check out my glasses check out my cool cooler look at all this stuff that i have i'm so salt life and i live on the water and i and, love the ocean and i love the ocean and and i'm so passionate 
And the trash is behind my house and I haven't said anything. I just live with it every single day. What? That doesn't make any sense. I just don't understand how that doesn't infuriate them to see that shit to Jeff every day. Every day. Every day they get to wake up in the morning and they go to bed and it's still there. It's just trash behind the house for miles and miles and miles. And until that changes, Busaga, nothing's going to change. No. People can get together and do their cleanups with 40 or 50 boats. And I'm not discouraging that. I think it's a total waste of time and energy. But if that makes you feel better, go ahead, do your, do your cleanups. But unless it's a cumulative effort with thousands of people and you have the government on your side trying to come up with good solutions, which we've gone over over the years in this podcast, there are lots of solutions, lots of easy ways to clean up the canals. I have not seen any of that. I have not heard of a city commissioner, a mayor, representative, governor, nobody has come up with any of those alternatives to clean up the waterways in South Florida. None of them. Zero. And they're never going to as long as people are willing to look out their window, have a cup of coffee on their dock, and will live in that filth without saying anything, without being alarmed, without being outraged. And, that's, no what's sense, ha- and that's what's happening. It doesn't make sense. All these salt lifers out there, you would think it'd be like such an easy message for everybody to get. We would all could get behind it. All different political parties, all different races. I mean, talk about, you know, coming together. Coming together. You would think that it would be something like that. And if, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the pictures that I post... Go to Coastal Community Network on Instagram and look at the pictures. Go to my personal Facebook page. Look at the pictures. I mean, thousands and thousands of people look at this stuff. But there's no movement. There's not enough outrage for change. And until there's outrage for change, where everybody gets involved, I'm talking about everybody that lives on the water, everybody that has a boat, everybody that surfs, everybody that likes kayaking, all, every, even the fucking jet skiers. I'll go all the way down to them. <laughs> so true dude if we don't come together and speak by thousands of people the politicians aren't going to do anything no perfect example of why it has to be thousands of people look what benny and the captains for clean water did they all drove to tallahassee there was thousands of people and they got shit changed they got shit done but that's what it's going to take it can't be 40 or 50 it can't even be a few hundred people (laughs) even 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 the crowd that Captains for Clean Waters has. It's taken so much energy for them to create that crowd and to get those people motivated. And kudos to them for getting it done. Yeah. But even then, it's a spit in the bucket. With that kind of energy, there should have been hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. You know what I mean? But And that's what I mean. Until there is thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands, which isn't a lot of people when you consider how many millions of people are sitting here in Florida. 300,000 every year. <clears throat> 300,000 new doofuses every single year. Yeah. That could be. But like I said, that trash is floating behind some of the most affluent neighborhoods in all of South Florida. People are willing to pay crazy money to live there. You'd think they'd be, I mean, and honestly, Jeff, you think they'd be outraged too. Imagine what that does to the property value too, that shit sitting in there. Well, like, obviously it hasn't done 
that much to the property value yet because property values are still going up. But the quality of life, who the fuck wants to live in that trash? And then they're used because, to it. because there's so much trash, you don't think about swimming in it. Hell no. You don't think about fishing in it. Nope. So what do you do? You get a fancy boat and you run around and you frolic in it and have drinks and brag about your Keys vacation, your fancy boat, all the stuff that you do and your infatuation with the ocean and your passion for it. As you go home and do absolutely nothing about the filth that you're living in. Call me an asshole for bringing that up. Call me an asshole for calling people out. I don't care. I just want you to spread the message. I want there to be thousands of people outraged about the amount of pollution that's here in South Florida. And if you don't live here in South Florida, you should be outraged by the pictures and by the information that you're getting here because that pollution doesn't go away. It floats right out of South Florida and it's going to float right into Captains for Clean Water's um, Everglades National Park. Florida Bay. Florida Bay. The ocean, all you turtle lovers, all you manatee lovers, all you people that are so fucking passionate about the environment, sit back every single day and watch the trash and the filth and the river of trash between Palm Beach and Miami. It's astonishing. Astonishing. Well, it's like you said, I think the sad thing is everybody's become so accustomed to seeing trash. People are accustomed to seeing it on the beach. And don't get me started on the spring breakers, because they bring plenty of it when they come, too. But how, how is this even possible? You can't turn on the TV without some company bragging about being green, bragging about how, how in love they are with the environment. But yeah, I feel like it's getting worse and worse. It is getting worse and worse. So what does that tell you? It's all, it's all fake. It's fake. All the departments in the government that tell you how they're into the environment, the DEP, OSHA, Friggin', I can go down the list of all the different departments. They're all fake. They don't do anything. If you call the DEP tomorrow about all the trash in the canal system in Pompano and you show them the pictures, they wouldn't do anything. They would just act like it's another day. They wouldn't do anything. What did your boy that it's in the oil say? Another, another par for the course? Par for the course. Yeah, that's what they'd say. I can't believe that that par for the course quote or resonate or whatever i didn't know you didn't get that before yeah i think a lot of people use that say par for the course they don't even know like i have no clue about par for the course never played around a golf don't know how they (laughs) score the friggin golf but hey i say it all the time par for the course ask grim he's the expert golfer grimmer grimmer yeah grimmer pulls up to me the other day jim hayes and his dog got fish probably 150 pounds or better (laughs) i saw he took the picture right Using the spot stealing technology that I taught him so well. He was he paid attention, right? Phenomenal pitchers. Could actually use them. Yep. You taught him well. He he listened. <laughs> spot stealing spot stealing technology. Just another term. See, I like that kind of spot anti spot stealing technology. One thing that drives me nuts is when people blur the background. I hate those pictures. Anti spot stealing technology. It's it's spot stealing technology. Whatever you call it, dude. Friggin'. <laughs> Yo, dude, I saw somebody one time blurred the reflection in their sunglasses <laughs> one time. That about threw me through. That was so extreme. That's pretty good. And it was for a trout. So he was he, he was afraid that somebody would look at his sunglasses and the reflection of the sunglasses and creep his trout. His trout. Hey, trout guy's got a 
trout guys got to freaking protect their spots also. That is true. So if you have to smudge out the reflection on your glasses, so be it. <laughs> More power to them. Go trout guy. <laughs> Speaking of trouts and reds in them, I think I'm going to go out with the big burst man burst of the night. Are you really? Yeah. How's he been, man? I haven't been seeing a lot of him. I've been working like crazy, banging out all my trips, but it's always good to hang out with Bursa. I'll probably have a few cocktails. You know, one day, I know he, can, he and I have been t- keep talking about it. One day, he and I are going to have to do a bonefish trip together. Dude, you guys act like it's such a big deal. Pick a day, call Carl up, book it, and get your bonefish trip done. Hola, senor bonefish, where you go? Do you remember? Have, when's the last time you listened to Senor Bonefish? On a serious note, probably the pandemic. Because I was doing, because there wasn't much to do when we were first on lockdown, so I just used to watch the hell out of the YouTube videos. So that was the last time I watched it. Yeah. Any, anybody in the audience that has never heard um, the jam Senor Bonefish, written and produced by the Big Bursa Man Bursa in his original album of Barnacle Music. That we gave away at multiple Lunker Cons. You really should listen to Senor Bonefish. It was, it's an original jam. Talent at its finest. Only from the big Bursa Man Bursa could you get that kind of jam. Inspired by the Bonefish in Biscayne Bay. Bay. In Biscayne Bay. Yeah. Now you know how to use a rotary. Thank you for that. We're all proud of you. Thank you. It's just, you know, another st- step in life. It's kind of like getting your first bonefish. Now another, you- another, was that slot in the belt? What do they call it? Or <laughs> there's some saying. Right. You know what I'm trying to say, notch, right? Notch. notch. Yes. Another notch in the belt. Notch on your peace pipe. Or is that something, know, something like something that? Like Somebody that. correct us and tell so us any, what the right so one is. Busaka knows how to use a rotary now. Also understands the definition of a rotary. And he, rotary is not going to call it a roundabout. Mm-hmm. Woodstock. Phenomenal. Yep. The joke about the Washington um, game warden thing was priceless, and I hope people share that. Yeah. We should try to get those people on this podcast as guests to talk about that. Wouldn't that be cool? It would be funny. You think they I should to- try to reach out to them and just say, hey, we'd love to have you on our podcast talk. How did you? How did this come about that you came up with this? Like, They, they sound, they, they're real guys from what it sounds like to me. Yeah. I'm going to reach out. I want to see if they'll respond to me. Speaking of reaching out to people, you know who I reached out to, and I haven't gotten back to her yet, but who? um, but uh, I asked her to be on the podcast because she does so much cool stuff. Who? This chick, Real Love. Oh, the one up in Stewart? She's in Stewart. She's on Facebook and Instagram. She's yes. always doing good stuff. And she's not a G-stringer. She's not a G-stringer. She's legit. She, she I think she's the, like, like Kristen Maselli. Reggae girl? Yes. North. Yep. She's into her fishing, boy. She's always doing something. She's cooking them. She's catching them. She's competing in tournaments. She's doing fundraisers. She's into the environment. She does a lot of pompano fish on the beach. She catches some nice pompano out there, dude. Dude, she crushes it. That's why I asked her to be on the podcast. That'll be good. Yeah, so she said she'd like to be on, so I can't wait to do that interview. And, uh... Busaga, thanks for coming in this week. Good to have you on the podcast. Always a pleasure, man. Always a good time. Always running that dog. Always running that dog, man.